That's your cue to get back in your seats. <laughs> Good morning to all of you that are joining us online. Thank you for connecting. Um, it is a good morning. You guys walked in here in sunlight. The sun was shining. It's an amazing thing. For us in up, upstate New York, it's, it's one of those things that you can go out and say, wow, this is a great day. I hope it lasts. But it's, it's an amazing thing that when Debbie and I lived in California and we would fly back to, uh, to upstate New York to visit my parents, we would fly into Syracuse and then driving up to Rome, we, we were so taken by the fact that it was green. You know, you have all sorts of ideas of, of what California is like and, and there is a vast difference in all that, that is presented in California. We happen to live in the San Joaquin Valley, which is one of the places called the breadbasket of America. They grow everything there. And yet, even though they grew everything there, it was kind of like a, a desert. Uh, it was very arid and dry and brown. And uh, it just was so amazing to come back here and just see green. And it was like, I miss this. And even now, as I drive around, you know, in the wintertime, you, you drive around and the trees are bare and you can see all sorts of things that you can't see at this time of the year because the trees are full and lush. The grass is growing and, and uh, it's beautiful and it's the way it's supposed to be. Uh, I was driving by a, one of the fields, that one of the farmer's plants near, near us, and I'm noticing the crops starting to come up. Nice, neat rows. But then there are things that are this big. The crops at this point are this big. And then there are weeds that are growing all through the, the, the planted crops. And, and we've, been, we've been learning about growing and being fruitful and development and how weeds can get in. And we're going to continue on this because we live in a world that is constantly trying to sow things into our lives, perspectives and values and, and uh, just that are so far from the truth. And we have to be very aware that uh, not everything everybody says is right. Not everything everybody believes ought to be uh, done is right by the Bible. And, and I know some people would say, well, you know, you're, you're pretty exclusive. I'm not exclusive. I didn't write the Bible. But I have a Lord who is the author of the Bible through his spirit. And I have taken my Lord to be my master. And so his word is the final word in my life. And, and that's where we as Christians, we can't fall prey to the deception or the rhetoric or the so-called experts that tell us something that is contrary to what the word of God says. Because the word of God tells us what is true. You'll know the truth and what will the truth do in your life. It'll set you free and keep you free. Jesus is the word that was made flesh that dwelled among us. Jesus came to give us what? Life and life more abundant. That's that overflow that Eric was talking about. It's an overflow. God has for us to overflow. But whatever is not of God, whatever is not of truth, is going to rob life. One way or another, it may, may appear like it's giving life, but it will ultimately, if it's not aligned with the truth of the word of God, it will rob life from us. It'll steal, kill, and destroy because that's what's behind that. And we need to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. Love everyone as God loves them. Value them as God values them. And support what God has said. Amen. And today we're, we're going to continue to look into God's word and see how can we be in this world without being of this world? How can we be fruitful? Because that's what God intended. God from the very beginning when he created the heavens, the earth, the fishes of the sea, the birds of the air, all the, the cattle and things on all the hills, and including mankind. He had one thing that he said to all of them. This was his plan. It was also his, his uh, mandate to be fruitful, to be fruitful. Everything would produce after its own kind. Uh, it, it's, it's important that we realize this is the way God intended it to be, but it's not because sin came in. And we, we have to be aware of the effects of sin. He also said, as long as the earth remains, so that's a long time, it's still now. 
As long as the earth remains, there is seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night, they shall not cease. Do we still have winter and summer? Yep, we have winter and a week of summer up here. And uh, cold and heat, obviously that happens. Day and night. And seed time and harvest. What's harvest? Harvest is fruit producing time. It's time where the growth has occurred, the development has occurred, the maturity has occurred, so that there's production, there's fruit, there's something that comes from all that growth. And so as long as the earth remains, God said, this is going to be part of what's going on. And we should be people that are constantly bearing fruit. Fruit, the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of the Spirit, fruit of good works. All of these things, the Bible says that they'll see your good works, which is a fruit, and glorify your Father in heaven. This is supposed to be a constant part of our life. And the question I have for you today is, how's your fruit? How's your fruit? What is your fruit? How, how are you producing fruit? How, how much fruit do you have in your life? Because God, God expects it. We saw this in the foundational scripture for this, this series where Jesus, we looked at his words in John chapter 15, verse 8 and verse 16, and he explained, he revealed how important fruit is to him, to our heavenly father. And if it's important to Jesus and to our heavenly father, where should it be on our list of importance? You know, up there in the top 10, top five. Thank you. Took a while. One. It's got to be number one. Who's supposed to be number one in our lives? God. Because without him being number one in our life, the moment we move God out of that primary and first place position, we are setting ourselves up to lose what God has abundantly provided. Jesus came to give us life and life more abundant. But if Jesus isn't Lord in that area of our lives, we are not going to have what God intended us to have. We're going to go without. And who has come to steal, kill, and destroy? The enemy. And that's how he does it. Many times, it's so subtle. He just gets us to put God and his word aside for a little bit so this one thing that we want so much, we think is going to be so fulfilling and so beneficial and so great, we elevate that in our life. It becomes the priority of our time, of our focus, of our, our, our resources. And we come to that place of realizing, man, that can't, that's not what I thought it'd be. And we've got to repent and move God back into that place. But in John chapter 15, verse 8 and verse 16, Jesus reveals how important fruit is. And this is the, the scripture. Jesus said, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. And this brings great glory to my Father. I want to be, I want to be known as a Christian. I don't want to have to wear a cross. I don't want to have to have a bumper sticker. I don't want to have to have a shirt that tells somebody I'm a Christian. I want to live a life that when they're around me for a little bit, they're going to know that I love Jesus, that Jesus is, is my Lord. That means he's my master. He's the one that I live to please. He's the one that I'm living with and living for. And, and it shouldn't be that I have to hand them a car and say, I'm a Christian, or see my Bible, I'm a Christian. Or look at my cross tattoo, I'm a Christian. Some of you are like, if you got a tattoo, can you be a Christian? Uh, yeah. Yeah, you can. Hey, did you know that the Bible says God engraves your name on his hand? That sounds like a tattoo to me. Now, I'm not promoting tattoos. But, but don't, don't get on the bandwagon of you can't do this and you can't do that, all right? We shouldn't be so concerned about what we can't do. We should be more concerned about what God has for us to do, and then we don't have to worry about the rest of the stuff. Amen? If we're doing what God has for us to do, then we'll stay on track. But Jesus said, when you produce much fruit, remember much fruit. God has for all of us as Christians, to produce much fruit. That phrase, much fruit, that means the most. The most you can produce. And who knows the most that you can produce? God. And he's the one that's going to empower and enable you to be able to produce that. Then it goes down in verse 16, and he says, you didn't choose me, I chose you and I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. So Jesus right here is telling us why it's important to him, and it should be important to us. It proves that we're true disciples of Jesus, not people that are just posers. Hello? 
real true disciples. There are going to be people that are going to stand before the Lord and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these great things? Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we do all these, these great works? And Jesus is going to say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. What a shock. If the Bible says it, it's going to happen. And I don't want to be shocked. I want to be a person that, that I'm not doing just what I want to do. When it says workers of iniquity, it means lawlessness, unauthorized works. We're here to do authorized works. The one that stamps our authorization is Jesus. And we need to be doing what Jesus wants us to do because it's not a have to, it's a get to. We get to. I want to do what Jesus wants me to do. Well, why do you want to do that? That sounds like you're going to lose your life. Yeah, but if I lose my life to him, I gain it. If, if I will lose my life and give it to him and do what he says, do you know why God tells me to do what he tells me to do? Because he's just a control freak? Oh, he's not? What's, what's the motivation behind everything God does? Love, love for us, a desire for us to have abundant life and overflowing life so our life would overflow into other people's lives. He desires the best for us. All the time. And when he tells us to do something, it's because he knows what's best for us. He wants what's best for us. He's planned what's best for us. He's provided what's best for us. And the moment we deviate from that, we're doing exactly the same thing that Adam and Eve did. How'd it work for them? Just remember that. I don't want to do anything other than what God wants because, and I say that, but I know as I say it, inside me, there's this little voice saying, yeah, but there's a lot of stuff I want to do that aren't God. It's not God. My flesh wants things that are not good for me. And I've got to be aware, who am I going to serve? The Bible says you can't serve two masters. You'll love one and hate the other. I want to love Jesus. I want to serve Jesus because I know that that's the best thing for me, the best thing for my wife, the best thing for my children, the best thing for my grandchildren, the best thing for my friends, the best thing for everybody I come in contact with. And so I want to do that. And that's where in this, God's told us we're to bear fruit. I want to bear fruit. And he's appointed us. Jesus said, I've, I've chosen you and I've appointed you. I've ordained you. I've set you apart for this. This is the priority in your life. A lot of other people have a lot of priorities for us, but this is Jesus' priority for us, God's priority for us. And if we fulfill that, we're going to experience a fulfilled life. And so today we're going to look at, we're going to do some review because there's still things that we didn't get into last week in Mark chapter 4. But before we do, I just want us to, to pray. So if you bow your heads. Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence. Lord, we know that you're everywhere. But Father, today we acknowledge that you're here. You are here among us. You said where two or more are gathered, you're there. But you're, you're everywhere. And Father, we don't want to just be around you. We want to know you. We want to grow in you. We want you to fulfill your will in us and through us. And so Father, we ask you to to speak to our hearts, our lives, our situations and circumstances and help us to know truth. Your word is truth and it sets free. Your word is, is life and health. We thank you for healing people today here and those online that would hear your word. We thank you, Father, for your word, the entrance of your word that brings light, illumination and revelation that would enable us to experience the transformation going from glory to glory in our lives. Father, we desire to hear from you, to know you, to walk with you, to serve you, and to reveal you and make you known. We thank you, Father, for working in this service and in, in this time. In Jesus' name, and everyone said? Amen. So, fruitfulness. We're going to look at Psalm 1, verse 1 through 3. It's in the uh, the the uh, voice translation, I think. Nope, the Living Bible. And I just want to do this because I want you to see, I remind you of how important fruit is, how God designed it, and how fruit, fruit is not a goal. It's not like I'm going to have a goal to be fruitful. Fruit 
bearing is a byproduct of relationship with God. Your goal is to know God. Your goal is to trust God. Your goal is, is to uh, relate to God. And so in Psalm 1, it says, oh, the joys of those. All right. Some, some other translation says blessed. All right. Joy or blessedness. This is what comes when you do what it says. And, and in the Amplified Bible, it says, where it says blessed, it says happy, fortunate, prosperous, and enviable. All the things that we desire. But it goes on to say, oh, the joys of those who don't follow evil men's advice, who don't hang around with sinners, scoffing at the things of God, but they delight in, the, in doing everything God wants them to. That's what they live for. They want to do everything God wants them to. There's a result. That's what they do, but it results in something that we read further on down. But it goes on to say, and day and night they always meditate on his laws, thinking about ways to follow him more closely. That sounds like an obsession. You know, if it's an obsession, let me be obsessed. Because there's nothing better than wanting to do what God wants you to do. That was what Jesus' life was. I always do those things that please my Father. I've come to do the will of my Father. If it's what made Jesus' life what it was, it's going to make your life and my life what God wants it to be. Then it goes on to say in verse 3, they are like trees along a riverbank bearing luscious fruit each season without fail. Their leaves shall never wither and all they do shall prosper. So this is the result of, of wanting to do what God wants you to do, of meditating on his word of thinking about ways to follow him more closely. Man, you're going to follow somebody. We're going to be influenced by somebody, and if it's not God, it's not good. It may start out good. It may sound good. It may seem good. It may look good. It may smell good. It may taste good. But I'm telling you right now, if it's not God, it's not good. That was the problem in the garden. Eve looked at the tree and at the fruit, and she said, oh, it looks good for food. Was it? No, it, it, it robbed everything from her and from Adam and from us. And that's where we can't depend on what looks good. And so this is important that we realize that this is what happens. God wants this fruitfulness. It only comes through our relationship with him. And we looked last week in Mark chapter 4 where Jesus taught a parable about the sower uh, sows the seed on these different types of ground. There were four types of ground. There was pathway, there was stony, there was thorny, and there was good ground. And last week we looked at this and we began to understand that the pathway ground, he, he explained this to his disciples later on, but the pathway ground was ground that was hard packed and the sower sowed the seed. The word of God, that's what it was. And it's just like here or any place that people are listening to the Word of God, people at home. There are a variety of types of ground here. This, this was indicative of people or areas of our heart. And so when he said the pathway, the stony, the hard ground, the seed of God's Word went out and it sat on the top and it was easy for the enemy to come and take it away. It never had any penetration. And last week we talked about this, and, and these type of Christians are casual or complacent Christians. Another term for it that is more, you'd remember it from the Bible, lukewarm. Anybody remember what, what the Bible says in the book of Revelation about lukewarm Christians? God would vomit them out of his mouth. That's pretty descriptive. And he says, I'd rather have you hot or cold. I can do something with each one of those. Lukewarm, you think you're okay, but you don't know that you aren't. You're complacent. It's about being casual. Well, you know. And, and this happens with all of us. The word doesn't penetrate. There are times, I recently had somebody say, do you remember when you taught this? No. But I should. You know, I can't, I can't afford to let the word escape because that word is life and health to me. 
That word is truth. It sets me free. That word is a light unto a path, my path and a lamp unto my feet. That truth of God's word is like the sword of the spirit. It cuts through things. I can't afford to lose God's word, but there are so many things every day that are cramming into my mind from all different sources that are pushing things out. I only have a limited capacity. And I can't afford to listen to everybody about everything and still retain the word. There are times I just have to shut down. I don't watch the news. I found that for me, watching the news was detrimental. I did not gain any peace. I didn't gain any joy. I didn't gain any hope. I gained a lot of stress. I gained a massive amount of information that I couldn't do anything about, which encouraged me just to worry about it. So I said, you know what? I don't need this. And that little nice story at the end of their whole, you know, half an hour or hour of bad news did not pull me out of the nosedive. And so I said, nope. You know what? God, if I know you, you'll make me know what I need to know. And I, I, I believe he can give me information about what's going on in the world. And I'm, I'm not ignorant of what's going on in the world, but I'm also not overwhelmed by what's going on in the world. And I think that's a key for us as Christians. We need to be aware without being overwhelmed. And if, if you can't listen and not be overwhelmed, then don't listen to that. If you have enough faith, and our faith is always fluctuating, to be able to say, you know what, I've heard that and I'm going to pray and I'm trusting God. And Okay, it's good. But then, then there was the stony ground. The stony ground was a thin veneer of good, good uh, soil where something could be sown in it and it would begin to grow, but there was rock hardness below. Some of the rock of the hard pathway ground had been broken up. There was a little veneer of good ground. And the seed went in and it began to grow up, but because of the heat of the sun and it couldn't go deep enough, there was no depth to this, it died. The seed died. The word died. It didn't produce fruit. And, and that's like our lives. Sometimes we, we start to develop, but we don't keep breaking up the, the hardness of our hearts that came through us being taught by this world. This world is a hard world. This world will harden you towards other people, harden our hearts towards other people. And God wants us to be good ground. God wants us to have tender hearts. Always, when, when Israel was in rebellion and things, it, God's word talks about them being hard-hearted. Folks, you can't afford to be. I can't afford to be hard-hearted because I won't follow God. I can't. It, the word will not not have any impact in my life. And these were Christians that we talked about being convenient or comfortable Christians. It's all about comfort and convenience because it says they received the word with joy. They were really excited about the word. But then when trouble and persecution came in, they became offended. So they were real excited about the word. And wow, look at this. Look at this, what God's word says. Look at this. And telling other people, but it doesn't go real deep. And all of a sudden, they, they experience this trouble and persecution. And they're immediately offended. And then it goes on to say that they became displeased, indignant, and resentful. Why would somebody become displeased, indignant, and resentful? Because they heard the word, but it didn't happen in the time and the way they expected. And they got mad at God. It says they tripped and they, they fell away. Fell away. That word fall away, that phrase, it's the word apostasy. Again, something we can relate to other portions of the Bible where it says in the last days there'll be a great falling away, a great apostasy. People are going to turn away from their faith, turn away from God. And it's not something that's going to happen. It's already happening. It's in full-blown manifestation. There are so many Christians turning away from, from their faith, from God, from the principles of the Bible. Then it goes on to say the, the thorny ground. That thorny ground was great ground. All the hardness had been broken up. It was good ground for anything to be sown in because anything would grow in it. The problem with the thorny ground was that these people didn't guard what they listened to. 
You know, the Bible speaks about the eye gate, the ear gate, things that we allow information to come in through. And if we allow junk in, I want you to know junk is going to grow up. And this talks about these thorns, these weeds that were allowed to grow, these weeds that were from the world, the cares and anxieties of the world. Is, is the world influencing you with its cares and anxieties? I can't answer that. Only you can answer that about you. But if, we, if it is, it's finding good ground in our heart, and now it's starting to grow up, these cares and anxieties. And they aren't going to get to a certain level and say, okay, we'll just stay here. They're going to grow and grow just like weeds do until they take over. Then there was the distractions of the age. And I'm telling you, we are, we are more distracted in these days than any, any people of any time in the entirety of the earth. Then there were riches. And what it tells us is the thorns, the weeds that riches grow in us is there is a, a pleasure that riches pull us away from, from God. From his word. Listen, you can't get lasting pleasure, eternal pleasure from riches. They're not going to heaven. There is a false glamour to riches. And there's a deceitfulness to riches. This is what, what this, this parable Jesus taught told us. They're growing up in us. There's this deceitfulness of riches. There's false glamour, this pleasure that riches promise, but they don't produce. And what it does is it draws us away. It chokes out the word. The word that's sown in among all that, these things grow much faster because it's more pervasive in the world we live in. You turn all different directions on all sorts of, of means, whether it's TV, radio, books, movies, internet, you're going to see riches promoted as, you got to make it, you got to be wealthy, and then you'll be happy, then you'll have everything you want, and it's not true. Because what you want and what you need are not always the same thing. And God knows what you need. God knows what I need, and God will supply all our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And we get sucked into this stuff so easy. It's so easy because it's so prevailing. And then it says the cravings and passionate desire for other things. That, that, that takes in everything. Man, what are people passionate about? You name it. It's out there. And you and I can't be passionate about two things the same. One's going to take priority over the other. And if you're passionate as a Christian, if I'm passionate, my passion should be very evident and very exclusive that there's nothing that comes close to my passion for God. My wife knows. I love her. I love her very much. I have been so blessed and thankful to have God bring the gift of my wife into my life. But she also knows I don't love her as much as I love God. And she's grateful for that because if I don't love God more than her, then I'm going to start idolizing and worshiping her and that's going to be the downfall of our relationship. Because for me to be the husband and the man I need to be, I need to have relationship first and foremost with God so that I can be who God has for me to be to my wife, to my children, to my friends, to my community, to my brothers and sisters at church. It's got to be God first because he is the fulfillment. He's the one that fulfills and provides for everything I need to be who God has for me to be and do what God has for me to do. And I have to keep it in that order. But then, it, it, oh, this, the thorny ground, we talked about being crowded Christians or compromised Christians because they let all this other stuff come in, take priority, crowd out the word of God, and it says these things creep in and choke and suffocate the word, and it becomes fruitless. And then in verse 20, which is what's been up on the, uh, the screens for a while, verse 20 is where it's the good ground. And this is what we looked at and was like, wow. You know, when I read this parable, I look at this and I say, I, you know what? 
I, I, I need to know about the first three, but I want to concentrate on the fourth one. And this is what Jesus said, those last seeds, the sown into the soil. These people hear the word, they accept it. They hear it, they accept it, they meditate on it, and act on it. That's the word comes, but there's some sort of interaction. It causes them to take action on it, and they bear fruit. A crop 30, 60, or 100 times larger than the farmer dropped to the earth. 30, 60, and 100 times. How many of you want to be 30, 30 times more fruitful? Okay. How many of you want to be 60 times more fruitful? Some of you are raising your hands for both. How many of you want to be 100 times more fruitful? I am, I am, I am a spiritual pig. I want everything. I want it all. I want everything God has for me. Not just to have. I want to have it so I can be what God has for me to be and do. I can't do for people unless I receive it from God. You can't give a million dollars until you receive a million dollars. And you're not going to receive a million dollars until you are faithful with the ten. That's a principle in God's word. Until you're faithful with little, you'll never give him more. But right here, he says 30, 60, and 100 times. And, and I just blew by the 30 and 60. My mind, my eye, my focus, my concentration just riveted to 100 times. I want to be 100 times more fruitful than I was without Christ. Because my life will be better, but other people's lives will be better. And, and so... How do we do that? There's a portion of Scripture that correlates the, with this exactly. Another place Jesus taught. But it was in a very intense time. And we're going to be studying this teaching that he did. But, but it goes back to a portion of Scripture that we began all of this with. It's in John chapter 15. And in John chapter 15, verse 11, we're just going to look at a portion of Scripture what Jesus said, he said this, I have told you these things that my joy and delight may be in you and that your joy and gladness may be full measure, complete and overflowing. This is the overflowing again. God has a theme going here today about his overflowing. His overflowing. He wants you to be overflowing. If he's overflowing and he's your heavenly father, if Jesus is your Lord and, and he came to bring abundant life, overflowing life, then your life ought to be overflowing. And if it's not, there's room for improvement. There's room for adjustment. And he said, I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you. Now, does anybody remember what, what the Bible says about the joy of the Lord? Yeah, Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is my strength. This is the Lord, your Lord, saying my joy would be in you. He's saying this to the disciples, but he's also saying it to you and me. I want my joy in you so that there'd be strength in your life. Strength for what? Strength for everything you face. Everything you face that you would be strong enough not just to stare it down, not strong enough just to outrun it, strong enough to face it and overcome it and show the world who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords who is able to cause you to be overwhelmingly more than a conqueror. That his joy would be in us, strengthening us. Our joy would be full, complete, and overflowing. When was the last time you faced something unknown, undesired, and unwanted, and were joyful? Man, that's not my first go-to. I'm usually cranky and upset and like, what's this? But it's because I'm not looking at the fact that God's already gone ahead of me. The Bible says he's gone ahead of you and prepared the way, right? If he's prepared the way, that means he's got a provision and a plan for you to face this situation that's surrounding you, that's assaulting you, that's trying to overcome you, that you would be able to rise up in the grace of God, in the love of God, in the fruit of God and overcome this and show that greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Amen. And not just occasionally. This is an everyday, every situation, everywhere provision. Oh. Oh. 
this is so good. Because we all get surprised. We all get shocked. We all get upset. We all get the rug pulled out from under us at times. And this is for those times that, you know what? God's right there with you. If the rug gets pulled out from you, guess what? He can hold you. I got you. God's telling you, I got you. I got your back. I got your front. I got your right side and I've got your left side. I've got above you and I've got below you. I've got you. Because if God don't got you, the enemy will get you. That is not good English. But it's true theology. It's the truth. And so Jesus says this, but you've got to understand, just like, just like Eric said, he reads the word for you today, but he doesn't just read that scripture. He reads around in the chapter. You need to read around. You can't just pick and pull things out. And so when we look at this, we understand in, in this time in, in the gospel of John, what's going on. It starts back in chapter 13. Chapter 13, John reveals what was happening in the upper room. The Lord's Supper. They were celebrating the Feast of Pentecost. He was having the meal with them. And, and in that time, he does a number of things. He takes his, his robe off. He washes the disciples' feet. He tells them, you know, you should have done this, but I'm setting an example for you. What was he setting the example of? He's setting the example that you need to be humble enough to serve everybody in the need that's around. Don't wait for everybody to serve you. And so Jesus, in this moment of time, he said, you know, I've desired to eat this supper with you. I want to do this. It was going to be one of the last times that they were going to be seated, being able to eat, being able to converse. But in the midst of this time, he points out that Judas is going to betray him. He lets Peter know, you're, gonna, you're going to deny me. And, and he's telling them, you know, don't, don't be afraid. It's okay. Things are going to be okay. It's going to be difficult. I'm going to be leaving. Things are going to happen. He's been telling this all the way along. And they're like, I don't want to hear this. Lord, I, I don't like that. I don't like that you're leaving. So I don't want to hear. Don't make me know that. God never tells us anything to scare us but to prepare us. He was trying to prepare them so they wouldn't freak out when what was going to happen happened. Because it would be easy to freak out if you were following a man for three years, you had given up everything, and then he's hanging on a cross, and you thought he was going to overthrow the Romans. Didn't happen the way they wanted. But guess what? Happened the way the Father wanted. Think about it. This was God's plan to bring redemption. It's what had to happen. He had to die, shed his blood to pay the price for mankind's sin. Yeah, but that's not nice. It was necessary. We're living in a battle zone, in a broken world. And not everything's going to be nicey-nicey, fun-fun, but we're going to have to do some necessary things. Like Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself. I don't want to deny myself. I want to deny them. I want to deny them. I want what I want. Sounds like Faruka. Some of you get that. I don't want what I want. I can't trust what I want. I want what God wants. Because God wants what's best. And then, then in verse in chapter 14 of John, we see some more things. This is still, this is at the Last Supper where Jesus is, is teaching and doing these things. And he says, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Why is he saying that? Because they are freaking out. They're, they're there, but they're not there. They are just absolutely over the top, fearful, because he's been telling them, I got to go to the cross. 
I'm going to leave you. I'm going to go to my father. What do you mean you're going to leave me? We're in this for the distance. Don't leave now. You haven't finished. You haven't done what we expect you to do. You're supposed to be king, not the Romans. You're going to give the Hebrews, the Jews, back to their own state. And nobody's going to rule over us. Then down a little farther, he's trying to comfort him again. And he says, I'll not leave you orphans. I'll come to you. I don't want you to come back. I want you to stay. Then in 23, they're, they're asking him, how is this going to happen? And Jesus said to him, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. You know, there are a number of times in the scriptures, the Bible tells us this. Loving God is revealed by keeping his word. Not by telling him you love him, not by going to church, not by reading your Bible, not by praying, by keeping his word. Not just the ones we want and letting go of the ones we don't want. And my father and I will love him and we will come to him and make our home in him. I want you to, to please store this in your memory where it says we will come and make our home in him. That word home is the word abode. Abode, that's going to come up. It's going to come up for all of you that want a hundredfold, a hundred times, the maximum amount of fruit in your life that's what it takes. That's what it takes. And then in 27, in, in 14, 27, Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So he brackets this with him saying, don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. And he's not saying that because they're all chilling and saying, hey, this is a pretty cool hangout. I like this. It's because they're like, what, what is going on? I can't help but be troubled. I can't help but be afraid. This is overwhelming. This is not what I expected. It's not what I wanted. And Jesus is saying, hey, hang on, hang on, hang on. It's going to be okay. It's going to be good. My father works this all out for good. And then in verse 30, he says, I will no longer... you." I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. Well, I thought you were. And he has nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and the Father gave me commandment. So I do. What's he saying? I'm living my life for one. Father's give me a command. This is what I'm doing here. I'm doing what my Father has for me to do. And what I do for my Father is not necessarily the most enjoyable thing for me, but it's the most beneficial for you, for other people, and it brings glory to my Father. Just like what we talked about earlier. And then he says, arise, let us go from here. So in that moment, they're getting up from the upper room. Now, the Feast of Pentecost was why everybody was gathered. Do you know that when Pentecost, the time of Pentecost is... is uh, being celebrated, it's the time of the full moon. It's just the way it always is. There's always a full moon when, when, when this happens. And, sorry, Passover, I'm sorry, starts with a P, starts with a P. The feast of Passover is always when the full moon is. And so they walk out of the, the upper room, they're walking through Jerusalem, and they're walking by Temple Mount, and they can see in the full moonlight the doors of the temple. On the doors of the temple, they're carved. And they, they go out into the Kidron Valley, and they're walking towards, where is Jesus going to pray before he goes to the cross? Garden of Gethsemane, which is on the Mount of Olives. So they're going off Temple Mount, through the streets, down through the Kidron Valley, up the other side of the Kidron Valley, to the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane. So that's what's happening. But I want you to understand that Jesus knows he is just about to enter the gates of hell. All hell is going to break loose in a matter of hours. His betrayal, the, the troops are going to come and take him away. He's going to be beaten for hours. 
He's going to eventually go to the cross. He's going to be separated from his disciples. They're going to be, you know, scattered. And so in the quiet of the night, they're walking through this valley. And in this valley, they're walking through vineyards. There are vineyards planted, and they're walking through the, the rows of the vineyards. And then he does what we read in John chapter 15. And we're going to read through verse 1 through 11. And this is what helps us understand 30, 60, or 100-fold fruitfulness. And it starts out, Jesus said, I am the true vine. And I'm going to stop right there real quickly and help you understand. This is the last of the I am statements Jesus makes. These statements Jesus makes throughout his ministry and his time of teaching, he says, I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. All of these are indicative. Every Hebrew that heard anyone say, I am, related it back to Moses when Moses said, when he was being told by God to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go, Moses was like freaking out and saying, who do I say sent me? And God said, tell him I am that I am. It was a title of God. And so he says, I am the true vine. And right there he stopped. I believe he stopped. He's saying in the midst of this vineyard, they can see the golden vine that's carved into the doors of the temple. And he said, I'm the true vine. And my father is a vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean to me because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do what? Okay, I'll ask this side. Without him we can do what? Without him we can do what? Without him we can do what? That's the truth, but we don't believe it because we try and do all sorts of things without him. And then we ask him to fix what we did. But he's telling you, without him, you can do nothing. And it would be one thing if he said, without me, you can do nothing, and I'll be available Sunday. Well, at least we got Sunday. He's, he's with us. He lives in us every day, every day, everywhere. He goes on to say, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciple. Now, backing up, there were three things that he, he related it to about those that bear no fruit. And he said something was going to happen with them. Those that bore fruit and something would happen with them. Those that bore more fruit and something would happen with them. And then there were those that bore much fruit. And these things correlate exactly with Mark chapter 4, where there was the pathway that had nothing and those others that had nothing. And then there was the 30, 60, and 100-fold. We're going to find out. What, what does God have for us to do? What will he do? What is our part? Because he's not going to do something to us without us being willing. He'll, he'll leave us. Not alone, but he'll leave us in the state we're in until we're willing to cooperate with him. And so we're going to be learning about this, but we're not going to learn next Sunday. Because next Sunday, Rabbi Stewart and Chantal are going to be here. I, I want you to know you do not want to miss it. Not only are you going to hear what you have been able to be a part of in, in helping the Ukraine... And we're, we're, again, we're receiving a special offering. We rarely 
do this, but a special offering to send with Stuart and Chantal back to be able to fortify them to be able to do more ministry in, in the Ukraine. Uh, we're also going to hear a word from the Lord through them that, that God has for you. And so you don't want to miss that. Amen? Before we dismiss today, I'd just like you to bow your heads. It's important that we realize that God, God is a loving God. He is not forceful as we would think forceful. He's not controlling. He is not domineering. He is loving. And he wants the best for us, the best for everyone, but he won't force the best on anyone. And so today, if you're here and, and you want God's best, but you have not really turned to God to trust in him, not recognize that Jesus Jesus came to give you life and life more abundant, and he died on the cross for, for each of our sins. And we have to acknowledge, man, I've sinned. I've sinned, God, and I need to receive the forgiveness of my Lord. And today, we're going to pray, and I'm going to invite you, if you've never received Christ as your Lord, to, to receive him, whether you're here with us in person or if you're online. Uh, let's just pray the prayer together. Heavenly Father. I thank you for your son, Jesus, who came into this world, lived a sinless life, died on the cross willingly to pay the price for all sin. Lord, I've sinned. I ask you to forgive me. I come to you and give my life to you. Jesus. You are Lord of my life. From this day forward, I am yours. You are mine. Thank you for forgiving me. Guide me. Guard me. Govern me. So that I will grow in you to be all that you have for me to be. So I can do all that you have for me to do. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen.